Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Welcome, everybody. This is your host, Jose Negron, on voiceamerica.com on the Variety Channel, hosting the lead technology show, T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We host a show every uh, Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and noon Eastern Time. We're also, you can catch us on Monday and Wednesday, uh, both morning and evening. Please check your local listing. As always, I'd like to thank my audience. Uh, They continue to help us grow, uh, both the U.S. audience and our international audience. As a reminder, real quick, uh, you know, the reason I started the show was to get the techies to talk to the non-techies and really understand uh, the ability for the innovators, the developers, the engineers, the scientists to develop products or gadgets that uh, we use in everyday life and make our lives a little better. to keep the audience informed uh, to, in the T3 show, please call 866-472-5788 or email me at todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Our show today, uh, and I'm real pleased to have uh, Mr. Brad Chase uh, for the third time on the show because we're going to talk about the neurochromatic lenses, but more importantly, we'll talk about you know how the uh, uh, gadgets and the problems they have as an innovator uh, it, to establish a product on the market, and I'm happy to say that uh, Brad's been having, uh, you know, like any innovator's uh, difficulty in getting his product to the market, even though he's had uh, many beta tests that shows favorable product. Uh, today, he has a sponsor. Today, he's moving out with uh, his current business plan, and I'm happy to report that, and we'll get in a little deeper in that. Uh, today's show is about technology innovation. How cool is it? Uh, if you stay with the program and you have belief, you can do it. In our second segment, we will have, we'll talk about, uh, you know, a great deal about new products, what are the challenges that uh, we encountered and we'll talk a little bit more about vision because uh, I, I did a little bit of study last night you know uh, I'm, I'm a big believer that you have to have um, not a uh, what do you call it they, I guess they do an eye treatment uh, versus an eye exam and we, we'll talk a little bit about that in the second segment it's amazing uh, how many people do not have an eye exam uh, before the age of five when they go to school and so that causes other problems we'll talk about those problems and then third segment we'll talk about the innovators and technologies and the producers of products and why the drive why it's so important for them to continue but let me tell you a little bit about brad chase like i said he's been on the program for the third time we've been talking about innovation we've been talking about his uh neurochromatic lenses we've talked about how to get the product out there and what are the solutions to some of the challenges uh brad of course is a scientist Autometry, neurology, head trauma, neuropsychology, and and he specializes in neural vision. 
Uh, Brad is an inventor with patents uh, to, pre- to protect medical equipment, diagnostic equipment, and uh, other equipment associated with the FDA licensing. The product uh, we'll discuss today is uh, neurochromatic lenses. But first of all, I'd like to ask Brad to describe uh, what the lenses are, and then I'm going to follow up with some questions on vision. Uh, Brad, welcome to the show. Can you tell the audience a little bit about the neurochromatic lens? Thank you, Jose, for allowing me to be present again. A neurochromatic lens, essentially, you will not see it. It looks like a tinted lens you wear in eyeglasses, not yet able to put into a contact lens because of the very nature of it. What the lens actually accomplishes is that it interacts or interfaces with the energy of light before it ever hits eyes, which affects the neurology of vision. Your eyes are, as we basically understand them, designed to create an image and maintain that image such that we understand it and interpret it. We thought that had to do with nearsight, farsight, astigmatism, which in fact it does. That has to do with the mechanical aspect. The neurological aspect is your brain's ability to interact with the image and make sense out of it, to incorporate it, to use it in a way that uh, it is useful. One has to, in understanding that, know that the retina tissue, which is the back part of the eye, is in fact brain not covered by bone. It's the only part of the body that has a direct interactive response to light. Light variables that come into the retina are nearly one trillion cells of which only 10% of those cells are involved in the mechanics of vision. That is how your eye actually sustains and maintains focus, close distance, any distance, and interprets color. The other part of the eye is, again, intentionally designed, which affects all sorts of aspects of the human body. Uh, It affects blood flow in your brain, for example. It affects the immune system. It affects the way you metabolize sugar. It affects your hormones. Um, And what the neurochromatic lens has shown in its demonstration now with nearly 20,000 patients is that we are intimately related with with light in ways that we have never thought about before. So when I speak to a novice, I use contemporary language to say that the retina is both the motherboard and the control panel to the brain, which is an astounding statement when you look at it and you really can't see the product because it's actually manufactured inside a plastic lens. Um, and it took approximately 25 years just to get to the manufacturing stage. And then as an inventor, how to manipulate a plastic lens to make it conform to what I was able to do uh, in the examination chair. Well, during our discussion, uh, Brad, you and I talked about vision and and what's missing. And we talked about the screening that uh, some schools do and some schools don't do at all. And then what's really needed is a good eye exam. And I'm sitting here reading uh, statistics here. And uh, 7% of children uh, do not have eye exams 
or uh, before the first grade. So only 7% of the children have eye exam. That means 93% before they go to the first grade are just counting that they have 20-20 vision. And that's not correct. That's not right, I don't think. Can you tell me a little bit about that statistic? I smile because enthusiastically we've learned from our own experience that you go to school and you stand in line and they put an eye chart and they see if you can determine the letters on an eye chart. What that is designed for is to see if you are nearsighted. But nearsightedness is only one small component to even the mechanical aspect. You could be farsighted and still miss the material. You could have what's called a limited field of vision. That is, how much do you see at one single time? And children approaching the use of their eyes in reading, it actually impacts the development of the vision component of the brain. Vision is not a true and sure absolute. As we mature, especially small children in elementary school need to make sure that all aspects, all health of vision has been examined, which can only be accomplished by an ophthalmologist or an optometrist. Another statistics here, uh, uh, you know, correcting vision impairment is the clearest chance to improve eye and vision health. However, according to the National Academic Science Engineering and Medicine Report, making eye health, uh, a population health imperative, vision for tomorrow, up to 16 million Americans live with uncorrected refractive errors. That's quite a few Americans living with eye problems. It is surprising to me that in today's world where we use our vision, not just to drive a car, ride a bicycle, but we use it on the computer, we use it on our cell phones. Uh, Good vision requires the ability, again, of the eyes to appropriately receive the light. I'm a specialist in the light, the nature of light. But the first issue is how well can it receive it? It's sort of like building a bridge across the stream and only getting halfway there. What do you do with the rest? In current eye examinations, the percentage of which are not accomplished means that we've built the bridge halfway across and we've left the rest as uncertain territory. And it's so easy then to look at a child who is not surviving in school or not making it to their full mental capacity and saying there's something wrong with the school or the school teacher or there's something wrong with my child. They're not paying attention. Rather, it would be more important and more realistic to say why. What is really going on here? Children want to learn. They desire to learn. Teachers are well-equipped. We have the means to educate our population, but we simply are not. So having come from an experience, a mental health experience in public school where it's easy to assess that by second and third and fourth grade whether or not a child is to succeed, a scary stat is that we test the reading ability of children in third grade. If they are less than a grade, pardon me, if they are more than a grade level behind, then we build prison cells to equate with that's our prediction of how many children will end up in the criminal system based upon their ability to perform by second and third grade in the United States of America. Even knowing that stat, what alarms the educator is what can I do differently if your child cannot learn to read then we can guarantee a failure of the public education system or private it's very rare for it to be otherwise 
Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm looking at myself and this lack of public awareness about the inadequacy of eye screening and the false sense of security they engender among parents in the health community is, is really frustrating. When I look at these statistics, uh, it's pretty damaging. I mean, you have 60% of the parents who do not feel that eye examination is essential for a part, essential part of a child's health checkup. 60%. And if the child is found to have a vision problem, 61 of them do not receive follow-up care. I mean, I'm looking at a first grader going to school, and the first thing you do is prepare them. Do you have paper, pencils, a book bag, you know, your lunchbox? Well, eye exam seems to be right along with it, eye treatment. Typically, what happens with a person with any kind of eye deficiency is that they are busy. They move about, they don't pay attention, they try to bring things in and out of focus. You can watch your small child with just a cell phone or a tablet. As they manipulate that around, you are surely indicative of having some kind of difficulty with that signal getting to the eye. For me, the larger, actually larger concern is what happens when the image happens to be corrected and happens to get to the retina, what happens next? And in our testing there, in a general population, we find that 93 to 98% of those people tested to see if light is appropriately converted into an electrical impulse to stimulate the brain. There is a genetic deficiency because the light that we experience in today's world is different than the light that we experienced 100,000 years ago, 200,000, and certainly a million years ago. So therefore, the eye has maladapted to our current lighting condition. That is complicated by the fact that we have projected light coming off the computer screen, off our cell phone, off our wristwatch, off television, which makes the intellectual ability to absorb the signals and the messages that are hitting the eye virtually handicapped by a significant number of the population. In California, we took 14 students who were functioning two grades below grade level as measured by standard federal testing. We did every kind of intervention imaginable. Of those 14 students, we found four that actually needed a pair of eyeglasses. We fit those patients with eyeglasses, but then we also fitted all 14 with a neurochromatic lens. Within six weeks, the minimal standard of improvement was that each child had improved across the board two grade levels in every academic level. That was in reading, that was in math. Uh, And this is exciting because what that means then is that what we once believed to be a learning disability or attention problem or it's just the home life or perhaps it's the distraction, the poor school is not likely the cause as to why children are learning. They are probably not learning because their eyes are maladapted to light, which can be changed. Well, this is one of the areas that I'd really uh, really appreciate you coming by and discussing because as I began to study vision a little bit more after our second program, I realized that there's uh, the lack of awareness out there of how many uh, children are diagnosed 
with eye problems, but yet we don't take care of that. And being in the first, second, third grade where reading is taught and it's so important to catch up with your fellow peers, you you begin to uh, fall behind very quickly. And we're not doing anything or doing very little, I should say, about that. When you walk into a classroom, which I have done many, 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 many times, you see these children, they're partitioned off into various groups. It doesn't matter if you're in the A group or the 10 group. What matters is that children compare themselves to other children. They know where they stand academically. When those children are there, what you slowly watch is the erosion of their enthusiasm to learn. Most commonly, a little boy, certainly by the end of second grade, who's not on par with what is expected, their spirit is dampened. By fourth grade, we see it in little girls. Their spirit is dampened, and they choose to withdraw or act out. Their spirit and their interest in learning is substantially diminished. What happens then is that we suddenly find out that they're not where they should be on standardized testing. We send them through remedial services, which by and large are repetitious or different styles in which we can learn the material. But the child nonetheless knows I'm not the same as somebody who is succeeding. That takes away that enthusiasm and the joy of going to school. Wow. So, so by sixth grade, we have boys and girls that we have attendance problems. We have someone going to the office and say, I get so sick to my stomach, and little things like that. But by but what has happened, which is so dangerous, is the joy of learning has become a struggle. Right. So homework means work at right. home, and I'm already worked all day at school. Why would I want to do it more? Okay, folks, we've, uh, let me wrap it up. We've got about 30 seconds uh, left here. We're talking to uh, Mr. Brad Chase, uh, the innovator and developer of the neurochromatic lens. We've been talking about eye exam and and, and being treated early and, and how valuable that is. Uh, therefore, we're going to come back, talk about the neurochromatic lens a little bit more. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. 
We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio, every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. This is uh, Jose Negron, uh, your host for the T3 show. Today, we're talking about technology innovation. How cool is it? Specifically, we're talking about the uh, neurochromatic lens with Mr. Brad Chase, the developer, inventor. We were talking about uh, the importance of eyesight examinations and treatment early on in our life uh, before we start school and how many people just uh, over 60% do not believe that that's part of the health plan for the child especially when he's going into the first second grade it's it's something that I'm I'm trying to recall when I was a kid I think we went through some eye exams or some uh, eye uh, evaluations at least and that was very important because that established whether you needed glasses or not even know those tests today are not perfect and I think we've matured quite a lot about that can you tell me a little bit more about those tests uh, Brad you started talking about the nearsighted, uh, nearsightedness farsightedness but I don't think those tests are holistic enough today in today's world to really understand some of the deficiencies you may have in your eyes any deficiency in vision can impair the actual development of the brain And that's essential to understand, because until a youngster has essentially gone through puberty, the brain is continuing to develop, including the vision centers of the brain. So opportunities to have effective vision actually affects the welfare of the child. It's no different than going to the gym and to get fit. In this case, however, when you're doing brain development, it is almost irretrievable if it's not done properly uh, through the use of your eyes. During the break, I was thinking that 100 years ago, we didn't have the requirement to use our eyes as we do today. You could acquire the skills that got you through life. You could learn basic facts in a small classroom, interactively learning through hearing and and those other means. Today, approximately 80% of all learning in the classroom is vision-related. I was just recently reviewing some data that says that our children's use of social media, which in fact is a vision exercise, is 
impairing their brain development. The interpreters of that data thought it was the content. They're spending time on their talking to their friends and social media, but in fact, the means by which they're using their eyes and those data and the artificial light may have a direct effect on brain development to the negative. What is important in terms of an eye exam is A, making sure, again, that the eye itself physically is fit to learn. A comprehensive eye examination done by an optometrist or an, an optom- or ophthalmologist can accomplish that goal. There are several ways that some types of optometrists, particularly in what's called developmental optometry, will look and see how the eyes actually work in doing tasks. Important for the acquisition of reading is that the words, the letters are clear. Equally important is what's called a functional field vision. What that means is how much do the eyes see at once? We live in a world, if you speak English, Spanish, or most of the civilized languages, they're phonetically based. That is, if they see a bunch of symbols put together, and in those symbols, they're they're, they're assimilated into a single thought. That takes a field of vision approximately the size of an orange cut in half. When you look at that aspect, less than 10% of those students in fourth grade can accomplish reading more than what a quarter of a quarter of the coin in your pocket. They only see that much in clear focus, which means that they are only acquiring a small portion of what is necessary when you read. So we see great gaps in reading speed and comprehension. And that's largely because of the field of vision. What the neurochromatic lens does is it expands the field of vision in that same person out to the size of a cut grapefruit which means the speed of reading is increased, the comprehension is increased, the overall understanding of what is on the written page is immediately understood. Uh, With most students who graduate out of high school, a common denominator when I examine them is that they may read relatively fast, but they may use a tracking device such as a finger or a ruler. They have to go back when exposed to new material in college and underline it, highlight, take notes, when the eye inside the neurochromatic lens looking from out it comprehends at approximately 90% of what you read first time through. That is left for the extremely gifted in college when it can in fact is the birthright of any person who can get into college could read at 90% comprehension and hundreds of words at a minute, never take a speed reading class because the eye physiologically is designed that way. The problem is the light source, Hmm. not the person. It's interesting as I look at another factoid here, we have 39 million people worldwide that are blind, 246 million that that have moderate or severe visual impairment. Uh, Based on what I'm hearing you say, uh, the neurochromatic lens and the way you would treat that individual, the possibility of improving its vision uh, is dramatically improved. Dramatically improved. Uh, When we talk about functional vision, Uh, blindness, I can't replace a cell that doesn't exist in the retina. That's something I cannot do. I can rebalance light, for example. We have a person who is colorblind. I can prescribe a lens for that person and increase their color spectrum recognition. 
where you uh, I've had enge- engineers come to me, electrical engineers, and say, I can't even wire my own house because I can do it on the paperwork. But when it comes to monitoring a contractor, I can't do it. Put them in my lens, and they have red-green color recognition as well as other hues and colors that they're genetically missing because I can rebalance the light and allow them to pick up on the red or the green, whatever the deficiency happens to be. Boy. Well, uh, some of the diseases here are, are uh, causes of blindness, uh, glaucoma, uh, the uh, macular degeneration. Uh, there's other, um, uh, what's the other one that I, uh, cataracts is, uh, is one that I just uh, recently dealing with with an elderly patient. All those, are they curable or not curable? Macular degeneration, which occurs in... 25% of the population, by the time they hit 60, will show evidence of some macular degeneration. And that's where cells, by virtue of our aging process and the cardiovascular system, has caused circulatory losses which initiate macular degeneration. It is found much more common in smokers than non-smokers. It's found earlier in smokers versus non-smokers. That also includes marijuana. So that there is a cardiovascular issue. And when putting those patients in our lenses, what I, what we seemingly do, we will need additional research, is to improve the cardiovascular condition of the blood going through the retina itself, which means that the cells that are healthy remain healthy and those that are not can have a more healthier existence. We actually have some retinal screens that, that demonstrate the loss of function partially returning with night vision which is exciting to me because i am in an age bracket where a lot of friends say i just don't drive at night anymore i can't do that or i don't like that i am so excited i used to jog at night until i hit 40 years old and i had to quit because i couldn't tell the difference between a curve and a flat surface wearing my lenses in less than one year i went outside and i can see the pebbles and asphalt in a dark night i have a complete return of night vision and that's very common for my patients. I will have patients say, you know, aunt or mom or dad, they need to see you because, and put them in the lens, and surely the visual function has been so enhanced. The cells are there, but making them work efficiently is a whole different matter. And that, again, has to do with, with a non-hostile relationship with light and being able to utilize the light that is present in night, such as infrared, in a more efficient way, such that we see at night. Uh, There are patients I'm now working with who are having reversals of cataracts, which is astronomical because we think that, well, we know that ultraviolet light is a cause of having cataracts. To have them be reversed without surgery is spooky stuff. Yeah. But phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah, we need to have more comprehensive research and more patience. But that's not surprising when we think about, uh, you know, good exercise. We have an improved cardiovascular system. We have overall general health, and the cells that we're trying to build upon better muscles uh, occurs elsewhere. And I'm simply doing it at a near cellular level, looking at the neurology and the health of the cell as it interacts and interfaces with light, because not all light is good for us. Uh, Many migraine patients, for example, 
uh, we've found in comprehensive research now going over 30, 40 years that if we eliminate that frequency, we can eliminate the migraine. Unfortunately, the marketplace takes a cheap shot. We think one shoe fits all, and there are products out there that are advertised as migraine lenses, and they do affect some people because some people have a response to light. My difference is I'm able to prescribe a lens that is individual to the patient. My trial lens kit can manufacture nearly one trillion different prescriptions in about 30 minutes, and I can manufacture the same. So when a person sees me with our optometrist or our ophthalmologist, they get an individual pair of lenses that are designed specifically for their vision and their vision deficiency to them. Mm -hmm. So there's no such thing as a one lens fits all uh, as we are finding increasingly in pharmacology and other ways that uh, uh, the lenses can be made individually and they're very inexpensive. So that's the other exciting thing. You go to a sports store and get a good pair of lenses to ski in. My lenses cost less, and yet they are designed to increase your visual performance. Let me give, let me give a real brief statement. What is visual performance? When you go into my neurochromatic lens, everything you see is more clear, crisp, and distinct. Some patients who experience what they think is nearsightedness can go down the eye chart and pick up more of those lines. That means everything. They pick up more colors and hues. What that means is that what they see is kind of like what we have now on our televisions as compared to RCA back in the 1950s, where there was color, but it wasn't bold and distinct as we might experience. And then most importantly, as it affects reading and learning, the neurovisual field, how much you see at once is so significantly enhanced that it makes reading possible. There is no learning disability that does not respond to the lens. It is a scary thought when I've talked with educators that in one generation, if every patient, every pardon me, if every student became a patient were wearing the neurochromatic lenses just at school, we could eliminate illiteracy in 10 years in the United States of America. Well, Wow, Brad, it's a pretty astronomical uh, statement and pretty bold right there. And we need to take up those challenges. I'm I'm just seeing some of the uh, thresholds uh, and uh, and the goals that we've set ourselves in in vision care. And to me, they're pretty low. So I think we need to readdress some of the uh, goals and milestones and shoot for the moon because otherwise – I do believe uh, this is a huge problem that has been uh, lacking attention and knowledge and really not understanding how it impacts a young child in the first, second, and third grade. It's so important. And we talk about reading and we talk about U.S. students falling behind. This is probably one of the major causes for those that child to fall behind. One of my patients is the daughter of a billionaire. She was when I when I first brought in my doctors to see her she was just going into the third grade she was essentially a non-reader she was identified in the family as being clumsy uh, non-attentive very bright would do everything she could not to sit down and read not to sit down and even you look at the fun stuff on her laptop to improve her education when we fitted her with the lenses I asked her to tell her mom and dad what's the difference. And she picked up the book, 
that she had never read before, and she read in our examination. It was a third-grade reader, and she said that the words bounce around all over the place. They're kind of I like the word popcorn. She said they were popcorn being popped. Try to interpret that and make sense out of that. Secondly, we went outside her daddy's office, which has a large, eloquent staircase, and she always hung on to the rail to go up and down the stairs. And what she told her dad was that they are like an escalator. They're always moving, so I never knew where to put my feet. What we did in fun is we went outside and gave her a bicycle, and on the third push from her mom, she rode a bicycle for the first time. We interpreted the parents, very wealthy, very child-oriented, had no idea that it was simply a vision issue, the way in which the light was so contradictory to her vision that she could not function in an everyday world in the home of a billionaire. Right. We've got two minutes. Uh, one of the things that I'm picking up as I look at the uh, uh, study of your eye eye and the sensitivity of light within the eye and the retina and the entire vision world is that we really don't understand how light is processed or used within your uh, vision. Can you talk a little bit about that? That'll be in the history of my vision, of my invention. In fact, we know that light, what I was taught in science, that the pupils dilate related to light, dark, they move according to your ability to focus, and that was essentially vision. We had no idea that the retina was far more complex. It is in my lifetime that we have understood the various cells, and then we simply said, well, they're there just for this, that, or the other, because we didn't have the equipment to even visualize them to even know what know how they work we still don't and so the whole idea that light is interactive with our brain is an entirely new discovery in medicine and that is part of the difficulty of dealing with the medical community because oh sure we know it's therapeutic you you have if you get some sunlight you feel better do better but we never understood the complexity Okay. Well, hold that thought because, uh, folks, let me uh, wrap up a little bit here. You're listening to T3, our show today is technology innovation. How cool is it? We're specifically uh, talking about the new chroma lenses with uh, the inventor, Mr. Brad Chase. And uh, we've been discussing the importance of eye exams early in life and some of the uh, diseases that you find in your vision care. And we'd like to eliminate those. Uh, We'll be right back after this commercial break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. 
Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best, and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune in to Destination University, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. This is your host, Hosini Grone, on voiceamerica.com on the Variety Channel. Um, we're talking about uh, technology innovation, how cool is it, and specifically addressing the neurochromatic lens with Mr. Brad Chase. We're talking about vision and, and eye exams and, and how children are falling through the crack at an alarming rate and how important it is to get an eye exam in the early ages, especially before five. And there's legislation that that is going on right now in various states that are trying to pass uh, school districts to go and give eye exams, not just screening, but eye exams to children before they enter school and especially before the fifth grade or fifth uh, age five, before age five. Um, I, I'm interested in this because really it was a lack of awareness. I knew we needed to improve our vision care, and I knew that there are uh, studies on light and how light affects your uh, your vision and, and your entire uh, vision system, but I didn't realize uh, the importance of that until I started really researching again and bouncing some of the statistics that Mr. Chase had, Brad had told me about, and I'm comparing it to uh, the factoids that I'm finding out. The real critical thing is we've got large institution finally, finally addressing the importance of light and how it impacts your vision. And I'd like to have asked Brad uh, to discuss that a little bit. Now that uh, people are now getting interested in light and how light is impacting their vision, uh, what do you think they're trying to understand? Back in the curriculum that we saw in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there was a quote that I liked, and it says, read in good light. Mm -hmm. And we translated that into lightness and darkness. Don't read into, you know, into the shadows or what have you. And little did they know that that is, in fact, what I talk about. I am able, with my technology, to isolate out nearly a trillion variables in what is good light and to create a lens that best matches the light to make it the good light for that patient. That is what I do, and that's what I have invented. The delightful 
part of the invention is that there isn't a patient that hasn't responded positively to the lens where we are able to identify the good light and they read and they learn substantially better, including, quote, curing dyslexia, quote, or curing this kind of perceptual difficulty, quote, or having a child who, for a variety of reasons, their development of their brain in the vision center hasn't been enhanced by the lens, very specialized patients. Again, I can't make cells that aren't there, but whatever cells are there, I make them work more efficiently. So the understanding of what good light is has been the most difficult part of me approaching the American Medical Association, the American Pediatric Association, the various teachers association because it contradicts our understanding or in truth our lack of understanding what is light and can you manipulate it in such a way that is more receptive to the retina which is part of the eye which makes it compatible with the brain and the way the brain functions which has been developed over at least a zillion years exaggerating, of course, so (laughs) that uh, the importance of having a neurochromatic lens is inescapable in our world unless we would choose to be inefficient. We would choose to wear certain kinds of eyeglasses. One of the things that I'm working with with some of my doctors is that we're thinking of a concept that's called preventative eyewear. Some of us believe that some nearsightedness, some farsightedness, certainly all, almost all astigmatism is caused by the eye being placed under stress, trying to sustain focus, trying to get that neurovisual field, and in doing so, the muscles literally reshape the eye itself functionally. And so that if we can get a youngster tested by age three to age six and put them in the neurochromatic lens, then the probability of having those kinds of eyewear as part of their life, because we know if we put them in certain kinds of eyewear, they're guaranteed to have their eye be less functional. They, in fact, weaken. there are some doctors and some schools of thought that they'll put them in a slightly in, they call it a plus lens, which means mm-hmm. they make the child slightly farsighted to relax the eye so that they can not be so stressed when focused. Right. And that does work up to a certain point. But we can put them in this kind of eyewear again where it actually makes it easier and more desirable to learn, to read, etc., One of the things that we have studied now, we have enough patients on our beta testing to take to NIH to ask for a a significant clinical trial, is that wearing the neurochromatic lens, the immune system is actually enhanced across the board. I was asked initially to test cancer patients who were in various forms of radiation and chemotherapy or a combination and being able to continue that dependent was dependent upon not so suppressing their immune system that we could take their life and almost always would suppress the treatment. Wearing the neurochromatic lens, we saw absolutely no setback in the autoimmune complex response with 
cancer patients undergoing therapy. Wow. Furthermore, we saw no negative side effects that are so typical with those, such as extreme fatigue, nausea, uh, you know, having sores that otherwise wouldn't heal, etc. And that's exciting. We are designing a research project now and that is to take we can measure the effectiveness of the immune system in the general population and wouldn't it be nice that if we all felt better because we wore a lens that our response to colds would be that we got less colds we certainly didn't keep them as long less flus a lot of things that are just what we consider annoying because there is absolute proof that these lenses look do improve the immune system and the side effect of that is just astronomical in terms of quality of life and overall health does that mean that if a person wears the lens 20 or 30 years that that will prevent major catastrophic illnesses and in some cases with with diabetes we believe that we have actually taken a genetic marker for diabetes and those patients have not succumbed to being a insulin dependent diabetic probably because they have worn the lens for 10 or 15 years and have missed the mark in terms of acquiring that mm-hmm. catastrophic disease. That's a that's a, a critical statement there, Brad. I mean, it goes on to tell you that uh, from a human body and just the vision uh, side of the house, we're still learning, still learning a little bit about light. I know a lot of large research companies, uh, private companies, uh, research centers, uh, DARPA, and others at the National Science Foundation, health in- industry are looking at this and. But one of the things that I admire you, and I've always known of this about you, you've been leading this effort for a long, long time. And it's sometimes as an inventor, uh, you know, entrepreneur, we get uh, kind of discouraged at times. And sometimes we just have to believe what we believe and, and, and plug forward. How did you overcome all that? Tenacity. Um, you have to have a compassionate heart. And I also say that I was very self-centered. I invented the lens to fix my problem, which was identified as a combination of severe dyslexia and seizures, neither of which I had, because my lens stopped both of those. Uh, So there was a passion. When you have that and you see kids, you work in the school, I'm the father of eight children. And each of those have had severe learning difficulties to put them in the lens and to see the magical result of them wanting to pick up a book, going to get the community library card because they don't have enough books to read is every parent's dream. And so you push forward. Uh, I was not prepared for the animosity for having a product For example, I have nearly 4,000 patients who have never had a migraine, and if they did have a migraine, I would stop that migraine in less than 10 seconds by wearing my lenses. That that mere discovery and saying that publicly before I have been funded as a corporation and as an inventor nearly cost my life because I was poisoned. And we can only hypothesize 
the source of the poison, but I was nonetheless poisoned. My life has been threatened. So the jealousy in your invention and, and so forth and so on has threat. caused some uh, initial threats. But uh, let's get back to the science. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about technology, innovation, and co- how cool it is. And you've certainly talked about the neurochromatic lens and the benefits and the uh, and the uh, preliminary uses of the neurochromatic lens. That's I, I see that as a very valuable uh, process. We've got a... Uh, you know, four minutes left. I'd like you to tell the st- Nate story where he had the car accident and how you had to bring him back in the in the in the use of the lens and really help uh, his uh, future development. My son was in a car accident and he had to, he had thirty seven fractures in his face. He had to have total facial reconstruction, and his optic nerve in his eye was nearly severed. The prognosis was that he would lose his eyesight completely because the eye was filled with blood and fluid with this neuro-optic nerve severance. When I brought him home from the hospital, my 21-year-old son came home in diapers because he was unable to control his urine and his feces. He was completely unable to function without one-on-one care. I put him beside me and put him in my lens and I prescribed the lens based upon the temperature in his forehead because I knew already that my lenses changed the blood flow in the frontal lobes of the brain one to three degrees. And when I maximized his temperature, that's the lens I prescribed. And then I did something horrible. I made him watch video games and try to manipulate those. We were simultaneously going through reconstructive surgeries they left the eye alone the trauma was such that he had to have his full orbital socket artificially rebuilt while I was still doing my thing and he was technically identified as blind in that particular eye six months later we took him back to the world's foremost authority in terms of optic nerve damage at the university of california davis school of medicine and had him re-examined and the doctor called over to the referring doctor asking that the right chart be sent to her because his response did not match and there's obviously a chart mix-up and nate by this time had regained 100% of his cognitive function. He was driving. He had regained, I knew, his entire of his vision. And when we went in there with all the testing data they had, his optic nerve had regained its connectiveness. And he has actually better better eye responses, (laughs) a better eye examination uh, since he's had the car accident. Wow. And he has, uh, it, it's it's incredible because yeah, yeah. that's never happened in medicine before, but we know again that what my lenses did is it changed the coagulation factor. It eliminated partially the fluid in the eye and it saved his retina and his retina, uh, though it showed a partial detachment as well as the optic nerve, all were corrected specifically related to the neurochromatic lens. Folks, uh, we've got 30 seconds. Let me begin to wrap this up. First of all, I'd like to thank Mr. Brad Chase, inventor of the neurochromatic lens. You heard a very powerful uh, story at the end here, uh, working with his son, Nate. Uh, today's subject was technology innovation. How cool is it? Specifically addressing the 
neurochromatic lens. I'd like to take a shout out to uh, my executive assistant, Alexander Loreno, and of course, uh, my executive producer, uh, of course, Dee Daniels. And this is your host, Jose Negron, working on the T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies, the show that talks about uh, innovation and engineering gadgets and the development and how it's going to change your world. And I'm looking forward to seeing you next week as we bring you another technology subject. Take care, folks. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.